Hello and welcome to Soaring in the 98. My name is MTG Galaxy. I'm joined here with Friglish, also known as literally a ghost that pushes over candles. And EDH Academy. Right, so today we are going to be going over some of the Theros Beyond Death uh, cards that we think could be good or fun in EDH. So, uh, either one of you want to start us off on the first card we're going to check out? Uh, I think the first card that I want to talk about is Elspeth Conquers Death, because it's such a unique ability in white. Specifically the second chapter of the uh, saga. The one where non-creature spells cost two more? Yes. Normally that ability isn't like a normally just white ability for Commander um, to be able to set that stuff out. I know that there's like Thalia, but not a lot of people use effects like that in Commander because the rest of the card around it isn't that good for like, you know, casual level Commanders. Obviously CEDH is a different story. Yeah. Uh, what I like about it is the exiling target permanent as the first mode. Um, especially because it's not your normal Oblivion Ring effect in white, where it's gone for a bit, but then once you remove the enchantment, it comes right back. This one just flat says, if it's a permanent and it costs CMC 3 or more, it's gone for good. So if you're in Blink decks that could abuse Teferi's Time Twist to be able to repeat this kind of effect, it could be really strong in the long run. Yeah, like, I definitely like how it's, like, even though this obviously isn't great, just as it starts, is a 5-mana, uh, like, mono-white D-Spark, essentially. Like, slightly better for its first mode. And then I think just adding the uh, temporary double Thalia effect just for the one turn of rotation, and then a reanimate with a another 1-1 counter or loyalty counter on it. So that means you can reanimate a Nissa uh, Vital Force, I believe, the one from Kaladesh, mm -hmm. and you can immediately ultimate it. Yep, this is so true. A, whenever a land drop enters, you get to draw a card. Just off of that third one seems pretty sweet to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the reason why uh, I wanted to run it in my Amina 2 deck, because I think that being able to just consistently do the first two chapters over and over again should make it very difficult for you to lose. And not only that, but when you blink oh, yeah, with sure. too, um, you get the... So if you get the second chapter at the beginning of your turn, then you blink with Aminatu, you will get the exile as well, so you could consistently be repeating that second chapter over multiple turns. Absolutely. Yeah, sounds good to me. And that actually brings me right into the next card I wanted to talk about, uh, Kiora Bests the Sea God, which I wanted to do essentially the same thing. You can get the Kraken, wait a turn cycle ice everything, then flicker it and get another Kraken, and you can just keep repeating that pattern and just kind of lock everybody else out from being able to ever block you or attack you. I mean, I think that's something you're not realizing is uh, the second mode is target player. It's not your opponent's. Oh, it is It is target opponent yes. controls. Well, so that's the reason I personally don't think it's that great in EDH for me. It's because, like... How much better is Cyclonic Rift over River's Rebuke? Basically, infinitely better. And I think people are a little too high up on this card. Like, I think it's going to be great and standard. It's basically unbeatable and limited, but I don't think it's amazing in EDH. Yeah, I'd hate to agree there, but 7 mana to essentially make the Kraken and then tap one player down. Like, from there, you just better hope that your politics are strong enough to convince people, hey, I just tapped this guy down. And it's only non-land permanents, so if they're playing a lot of... Um, interaction on other people's turns like you don't even turn them off and for all we know they may not be an aggro deck so tapping their you know multiple planeswalkers and multiple enchantments may not even do anything so 
Yeah, I can I mean, see definitely fair. power and limited, and maybe even in standard as a finisher. But you know, I'd rather pay seven for the C Rift or pay seven for something that's going to um, affect three people instead of one. That is true. Yeah, I mean, basically, go ahead. Yeah, it's basically unbeatable and limited. Like, but also getting a eight eight, like getting an eight eight hexproof isn't bad. To be fair, I think that like, combined with an the fact that hexproof every turn. For, for, like, an Esper control deck like Aminatu, or at least how I play it, um, generally you are only ever worried about one person. It's not that difficult to, to kind of mitigate stuff for multiple players, and one person kind of starts to get ahead, and then you can just use this to tap them down. Yeah, Sea Rift is a lot better, but I think that if we're comparing big blue effects to Sea Rift, they're all going to compare unfavorably. Sea Rift is just a broken card. <clears throat> yeah, that's fair. Then to compare apples as close to oranges as we get, how does Cure Abyss, the Sea God, uh, differ from Stormtide Leviathan and Inkwell Leviathan, which are things that Blue can use as a attack finisher that may compare to the 8-8 you're guaranteed to get before the table realizes what Chapter 2 does and then eventually what Chapter 3 does? I mean, with the two creatures you mentioned, the Stormtide and the Inkwell Leviathan, you could just, like, use any sort of creature removal on them. Except Inkwell like, has Shroud. Significantly... Yep, they do both have Shroud. Uh, I think they the both Inkwell have has... Oh, they both have Shroud. No, I... Stormtide doesn't. Stormtide doesn't. No, Stormtide... Stormtide does not. It can't be blocked, but it does not have Shroud. But Inkwell does. Yeah. Right, so... Yeah, Inkwell does, which is pretty good. Hmm... I mean, I'm sure someone in a casual playgroup could find uses for Kiora Vista Sega, but I don't think it's something that every Blue X deck needs to get a copy of and find their slots oh, on absolutely. their top end for it. I just think that it's an interesting card to consider as like a finisher for something like a, a hard control Aminatu deck, because those 8-8s can end up closing out the game, and if you're not running to, if you're running a bunch of control and not a lot of finishers, that is a fine finisher. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, uh, but also, what? like, to be like... Hmm? No, you were saying. Sorry. Yeah, uh, it does compare to things in this format, like, to Avenger of Zendikar, for example. And while, obviously, there are different colors, and they have, like, strength in different ways, I'm just saying there's so much... More, like, obviously, if you're blinking it, this is different, but if you're just doing it just for the three effects, then you're sacking it. If you're not recurring it, blinking it, anything, I just don't think it's playable at all for seven mana. I think that that's true. I think that you need to be flickering it or abusing it in some way. Yeah, I think that's something we can all agree on on that point. Yeah. Alright, so that's it for Cure Best the Sea God, and then, uh, Vigilish, you wanted to talk about Ashiok's Erasure. Uh, yeah, I did push down on Ashiok's Erasure. I think that if you're specifically running a more enchantment-based flicker deck. Aminatu does well at this, although you could also do something like Rune or Afara. Um, being able to flicker the spell before the Enters the Battlefield trigger finishes, you can basically permanently exile it, and I think that there is something there to that for somewhat more casual groups, you know, lower power groups. Being able to recur a counterspell like that is kind of nifty. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's definitely true. This is templated like the old, uh, like the old uh, Oblivion Ring effects. It's more of like Oblivion Ring instead of Banishing Light. So if you remove it in response to the Exile Target spell trigger, they don't get the spell back into their hand, which is relevant. However, you mentioned Rune, and I'm just saying Rune can only flicker creatures. Yeah, I know Rune can only flicker creatures, but flicker decks uh, like yeah. that generally also play other flicker effects. 
Because Aminatu also can't flicker Ashiox Erasure at instant speed. Yeah, Not without, true. like, a Teferi ult. This is true. Yeah. Didn't we also get a... Didn't we get a flicker spell in this set? Um, I think yes. it's called Flicker into Fate, which is your standard yeah, two-mana blink a creature, but it can also blink an enchantment, which I'm sure Amanatus, your runes, and even your Bragos would be running that type of effect. Um, I was just pulling up the card here, and actually the spell that you exile is prevented... The table is prevented from casting it, or your opponent specifically. So if you have a commander yeah. that has one specific type of removal that definitely gets rid of it, Ashok's Erasure could just take that off the table, pun intended, um, for the rest of your opponents to try and deal with it. So, I mean, but like to be fair, there isn't a ton of interlap in like singleton formats, like especially like commander. Like not all decks run the same cards. Like even if they aren't, even if they are sharing colors, some decks opt to have like restrictions to them, or just don't think a card is that good. Of course, you can nab something like Soul Ring, but if you have four mana to cast this on a Soul Ring, then I don't think it matters that much. Well, I'm thinking like if you're playing in a far deck or you're playing a deck where the main creature you want to keep alive is indestructible, and your table or your meta has a lot of white in it, cards like Swords of Plowshare and Path to Exile. Are definitely things you're going to want to try and find answers to and unless you're unless the creature in question already inherently has hex proof now you're trying to look at cards like Mizium skin or lazatop plating to give it temporary hex proof or even greaves and swiftfoot boots um the only thing i don't like about erasure is that it's four mana which is a lot to ask for and those type of mid-rangey or combo decks that don't have a lot of dedicated spell discounting. Um, it's a lot of mana to ask to hold up while still trying to do your plan. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, that's true. That's fair. And then if you are in a uh, green-blue deck specifically, you do have better four mana counter spells like Plasm Capture, which I think is a severely underrated card. Oh, absolutely. Plasm Capture is definitely a card that is underrated in the format, but I think it's because it is double green and double blue. So you don't really have that flexibility of, you know, you're pretty much having to leave up four of your dual lands just to make sure that you have the mana to pay for that. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think if there's a... I mean, there are decks that'll want it, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're in just, like, straight Simic, it's fantastic. If you're in, like, Teamer, Splashing Red, it's good. And if you're in, um, what's the last combination? Splashing White, so... Bant? Bant. Bant's. Yeah, if you're in bad splashing white, it's good. But like, yeah. I wouldn't put it in anything more than that. Like, I probably wouldn't put it in Soltai because you have black cards that you probably want to play, and I wouldn't put it in four plus color decks. Yeah, no, four four plus, you're definitely like you're definitely asking for trouble in four plus color decks. Um, I agree with Soltai. I feel Soltai wants to be doing other things than holding up green, green, blue, blue for plasma capture, but. I mean, I like Ashok's Erasure. I'm just saying that you definitely have to make sure that if you're including it, to be thinking about the fact that you want that four mana up and uh, just be considering that in your um, decision, your deck building process. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. All right, now we're on to Treacherous Blessing. Uh, I really just probably be reading the, car reading the cards out just in case. So, Treacherous Blessing is two and a block for an enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, you draw three cards. Whenever you cast a spell, you lose a life, and whenever it becomes the target of a spell or ability, sacrifice it. So, what did you guys think about this card here? 
I think that it's really efficient black card draw. Three mana, three cards is pretty good. Is a pretty good rate, especially if you can guarantee that you can always get rid of the treacherous blessing after you have it. So, like the cards that uh, we mentioned right before, I was thinking about this for Amina too because you have a guaranteed way to make it go away. And even if you have to lose a couple of the life to get it, three mana, three cards is exactly the same rate as uh, Perilous. Painful Truth. The uh, Converge Draw spell. Three mana. Yeah, Painful Truth. Oh, Painful Spend Truths. three colors, draw three cards. Painful yeah, Truths. Painful Truths. Um, it'll be the same rate as Painful Truths if you cast three spells before being able to get rid of it. But I think that three mana, draw three yeah. cards is a pretty good rate. Also, it's I think a, it's a, blinking this with Aminatu is sweet. Yep. I mean, sacrificing it with an Ami, Ami, uh, Aminatu. <laughs> or, or using Aminatu's ultimate and rotating it around the table. There you go. Donate it to someone else. I can't say I've ever used uh, Aminatu's ultimate, but, you know, now I might have to. Just try to get yeah. someone to lose the game to Treacherous Blessing. Also, one of the things that was brought up is that this goes good in uh, Greven, the Rakdos Kill Yourself mm, Commander. Oh, yeah. 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 It does do well in Greven. Yeah, I have I like, a Greven deck. I'm not 100% sure I'm going to be putting this in, but one of my friends has one as well, and he says he wants to put it in. It makes sense. If you're going to be casting you know, several spells during your turn as a Greven deck, even if it is to get a creature on board, you know that life you know, that life accumulates, and Greven's going to be swinging for a punch. Yeah, for sure. I am actually a little cold on Treacherous Blessings only because I feel like, yeah, the as Frilish said, like getting three card um, three cards drawn off three mana, especially without losing life right away, is an amazing thing that Black doesn't really get a lot. But from there, you're now in a situation where it's like, okay, what deck am I playing to now get rid of it? Obviously, it's great in Aminatu because you can just tick it down, target it, and then sacrifice. But I don't think it would work well in decks that isn't running... I think it's called Farica's Affliction. But even then, it's just your opponent. I'm just not seeing where you're able to freely sacrifice a permanent to get rid of it. That's all. Yeah, I think that you need yeah. to, if Makes you're going sense. to include this, you need to guarantee that you can get rid of it, or it'll become much more of a curse than a blessing. Absolutely. Okay. Nice. All right, on to our next card. We have Wave Break Hippocamp. This is a 2 and a blue for a 2-2 two, two enchantment creature, Horsefish. And whenever you cast your first spell during each opponent's turn, you draw a card. As someone who just built Tallrand, I am really loving Wave Break Hippocamp, especially because I'm running a lot of... Um, instances that allow me to draw a card so having counter spells that essentially add a card draw text beneath it i feel this is going to be a really good card for blue maybe even blue white control um a lot if you got a lot of opt like effects or anticipate effects this is going to really you know get its value in the long run yeah this is just good in decks like rashmi baral you mentioned Talagran. Basically, any control deck could decks that are trying to cast spells on opponents' turns. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if um, you're especially if it works better in your favor to be casting things during your opponent's turns. Like um, like certain blink effects are great during your opponent's turn when they're destroying per destroying enchantments or artifacts, something like that. Then it's super good. Yeah, just adding cantrip onto any instant, just powerful. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Then another one, Naiad of the Hidden Coves, two and a blue for a two, three enchantment creature, Nymph. As long as it's not your turn, spells you cast cost one less to cast. Basically just the same thing as the Hippocamp, except instead of cantripping, you get a cost reduction, which granted isn't as great, especially 
if you're playing Baral, for example, where you already get that cost reduction, but still just generically good in any instant speed deck. I, I think, think it's something that you definitely have to consider if you're playing decks like Rashmi. Sorry about that. Yeah. I think that's something that you definitely have to consider if you're playing decks like uh, Rashmi, because the cost reduction can add up if you're casting one spell on each purple's turn. Then you can get, yeah. you know, it's not just a one mana discount, it's now a multiple mana discount, you know, or if you can cast multiple spells. And I think that if you're combining it with something like Wavebreak Hippocamp, where it's encouraging you not to cast three spells on one turn, but one spell on three turns, that discount can add up. Yeah, for sure. The next card we have is the Akroan War. This is our first saga we're taking a look at today. Uh, wait, no, I lied. Kira, I see God. Elspeth conquers death. We'll just ignore them. They're just enchantments that do things. Yeah, don't worry about it. Three in a red for a saga that has three uh, lore counters on it. The first one is gain control of target creature for as long as the Akroan War remains on the battlefield. The second one is until your next turn, creatures your opponents control attack each combat of fable. And the third one is each tapped creature deals damage to itself equal to its power. So, so first the reason one is I put this, treason. Oh. the reason I put this card on the list is because it's the first saga that I've been looking at that I don't want to flicker for value. I think that just in order one, two, three, there are decks that want this effect. Yeah, sure. Like the first one is just an active treason for two turns. The second one is, I know it's not disrupt decorum. It's slightly worse disrupt decorum because they kind uh, of because they can attack you, but it's like basically disrupt decorum and then. Three is a solar helix, I believe, is what it's called, or solar blaze. Yeah. So mm. yeah, seems seems good. And like, uh, March Ace of the Black Rose, steal stuff and then sacrifice it to make it your own. Uh, the second one specifically is good in. Uh, <laughs> I don't play this deck anymore, but I had a Pramicon deck. It's so Ooh, it's good in that. And yes. Then third one is just a board wipe. Kind of. I think that this effect seems really strong for any deck that wants to force your opponent's attack because that last one is so good if you're not playing white for something like that. Is something like Will and Rowan Kenrith or Fumiko the Low Blooded. That last effect is pretty is a pretty strong wipe for that much mana. Yeah. Especially because so many creatures in Commander are either going to be power heavy or have identical power toughness it's, it reminds me of um, all the times you get got when you're playing against the bant dragon that cares about defenders and someone plays fell the mighty and you're just saying like well this yeah no my creatures all die but um yeah yeah with the exception of white that's pretty much that third chapter is pretty much a gotcha um if you have to attack with all your creatures and just if you live like everything just Everything functionally just kills itself on the third chapter. And that's why I think that it does best in already decks that are already built around forced attack, is that you are going to build ways into the deck to make sure that you're not the one that's on the receiving end of this war. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and next card, next card we're taking a look at is the first Iroan Games. This is a saga, cost two in green, and it's uh, four lore counters at time. The first one is you make a 1-1. One, one. Uh, human soldier, if that's relevant. The second one is you put three plus and plus one counters on target creature you control. The third one is if you control a creature with power four greater, draw two cards. And the fourth one is create a gold token, which is a uh, artifact that you sacrifice to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. So, what do you guys think about this one? I think that this seems like a fun casual card for lower power things. I think this card's going to be inexpensive and seems like a fun thing to include in something like Azuri or Gave because it gives you both a token and a bunch of counters to use. 
You have to agree yeah, with Frick. draw two is not bad. Yeah, the draw two isn't bad, especially because if that creature that you put the three counters on lives, unless it was a zero power to start, you're going to be drawing those two cards. So, um, yeah, I think Missouri or Gob will really like this card, uh, making the body, then get then being able to put counters on it. Um, I'm already seeing Fathom Mage um, combinations where you're just drawing a crap ton of cards because, or sorry, I can already see Fathom Mage combos where you're drawing a significant number of cards from that second chapter. Um, creating the gold token is a is a good payoff for the end, ramps you up a little bit after you've already spent it, so you're not just completely all right. Well, I drew two cards, and that's the end of that. I mean, I feel like that's for the most part irrelevant because if you play it on curve you're going to have that at turn seven and by that time you should have more ramp out i think that's just a little thing added for flavor reasons what you're really playing this is for really number two and three but i guess one could be useful sometimes one can be useful and then it makes you a body if you need like you need something to block with it gives you an immediate payoff that you know yeah. that's tangible yeah if you have like a walker or something Alright, so the next card we're going to take a look at is Elspeth, Sun's Nemesis. So, this is the uh, one of the premier Planeswalkers for the set because it has the set's mechanic. Uh, it is a 4-mana Planeswalker Elspeth, so 2 white-white for a 5-loyalty Planeswalker. Minus 1, up to 2 target creatures you control, get plus 2, plus 1 until end of turn. Minus 2, create 2 one, one white human soldier creature tokens. Minus 3, you gain 5 life. And you can escape it by paying 4 white-white and exiling 4 other cards from your graveyard. So, what do you guys think about this one? Personally, I am not a huge fan of it, just because the effects seem kind of lackluster. But I'm sure that being able to have a repeatable, constant source of 2-2-1, two, two, one, like 1-1s, one, 2-1-1s, ones, one, ones, has to be at least playable in some decks. Yeah, it's it's fine. It's not great in EDH. I think it's more uh, like relevant in 60-card formats or 40-card formats. Yeah, because when you compare this one to the other Elspeths we've had in the past, it's it's really hard to compare it, especially because uh, fewer and fewer Planeswalkers are getting emblems these days. Like, if you try to compare this to Sun's Champion, where the emblem is 2-2 and flying for your whole team, it's really hard to try and convince yourself to run something, because I believe this is a 4-mana walker at 2-white-white for the casting cost, if I'm not mistaken. Like, to get 4-mana, go sweet. Yeah. These two creatures get plus 2, plus 1, it's like okay, that's that's two. You have three opponents, and unless one, unless one of them's got infect or one's really low on life, it's not going to really push it. So I'd I'd have to agree. Like six card formats, this is strong, especially if you're able to um, use that last ability to gain five life and then be able to escape it right after to give things plus two plus one. I think it's really strong, but I don't think we're going to be seeing this in Super Friends builds um, in EDH. Yeah, unless they want to just bling it out and buy the borderless one. There you go. So the next card we're looking at is Ox of Agonis. This is 3 red red for a 4-2 Ox. When it enters the battlefield, discard your hand and then draw 3 cards. And then it can escape for red red and 8 other cards from your graveyard. And it escapes with a plus 1, plus 1 counter on it. So this one reminds me a lot of Bedlam Reveler. Which I don't know if a lot of decks play. I guess um, like Spellslinger decks could be playing that. But that's more of really like 60 card format thing because discarding a hand that draw three cards isn't great. But if you are in a red, like black green deck or like a gen deck or just like even a mono red deck that fills your graveyard quickly, this seems like a pretty good source of card advantage. 
especially because uh, red gets a lot of rummaging and looting effects. So if you, on turn one, play Faithless Looting, or on turn two, Tormenting Voice, Wild Guess, or Throw Possibility, you could set up for a future play where you're out of cards, you can just simply escape the Ox and just be able to refill your hand this way. Uh, the only problem is that I feel like it does... <clears throat> you do kind of dance around it where, like, do you want it in the graveyard or do you want to cast it from hand? Especially because we have um, full-on Wheel of Fortune effects in... Um, in EDH, it's really hard to try and match it up. It's the same issue with QR Best of Sea God and Sea Rare. Like when you have Wheel of Fortune, Reforge the Soul, Corbat's Fury, it's really hard to try and take the Ox and go, okay, well, do I want a body that draws me only three cards or do I want to draw more of them? Yeah. And like something that to note, eight cards isn't nothing. Eight cards is not nothing. It's almost a tenth of your deck. I was talking about the card draw, like drawing three yeah. cards versus drawing seven from Wheel of Fate. Oh, no, no, I'm talking about the escape cost. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I got you. I got what you cost. mean. Um, I think that this card is decent in, like, very low draw red decks or people that don't have access to some of the better wheels. I know that, like, the Miracle Wheel is pretty cheap, but not all of them are. Um, I think that the deck that might want this the most is a deck that wants to discard its own cards or decks that, like don't care where they end up. So decks like Madness decks could make use of this, something that uses Bone Miser, the creature version of the uh, Waste Knot. Oh, I see Discarding cards. Uh, yeah. Actually, I think being can... able to just cycle, discard, and draw actually seems like it could turn out really well if you already want to discard your guards. A commander that actually came out in this set that can really use it is Galia, the female satyr that anthems your satyrs, and when when creatures attack, you discard a card at random and then draw two. So that's a potential payoff for having to discard at random, because I know that random's a bit risky. So what you're telling me is my uh, Arrogant Worm tribal deck is coming together now. Very possibly. Because I can possibly. play both Arrogant Worm and the color-shifted uh, Arrogant Worm from Plain Cheese. Plane shift. Well, you chaos, may have something there. there. Yep, that is a thing. So the next card we have is the bombshell of the set. This is the card everyone was losing their minds over when it got spoiled. And this is Nyx Bloom Ancient. This is four colorless, green, green, green. So seven mana for a five, five enchantment creature elemental with trample. And it says if you tap a permanent for mana, it produces three times as much of that mana instead. This card is the green version of Consecrated Sphinx. It's Wizards giving up. You know, do you want to tap for mana? I don't even care anymore. Just tap for as much mana as you want. Just you have infinite. I don't care. Go for it. This is this is Wizards' I mean, definite nod to Commander players big time, because if there's anything Commander players love is having access to a, a lot of mana. But for those who don't want to lose friendships over running Voring clicks in their ninety nine. Um, this is a happy substitute. I feel people were overhyping this card. Um, oh, I yeah. think it's appropriately costed for the effect. I don't feel like you're going to be, you know, getting this out any earlier than you deserve. Like, obviously, if you're ramping hard in the early game, it's going to be inevitable that this thing comes out. But I saw people on Twitter trying to do math on what happens when you kick a right of replication targeting this thing. How much your lands, how much mana your lands it's produce. For the record, it's 729 mana per land. And that's assuming the land sure. uh, taps for one mana originally. 
So yeah. Yeah, I definitely think people are overhyping this card. It's a seven mana permanent with two creature types on it. Like literally every color can deal with this, even black with creatures, green with enchantments, etc. And as soon as, like, I do p think people can, like, even newer players can threat assess this properly. As in, if it hits the table, everyone's gonna be gunning for the person with that and trying to get rid of that or get rid of the person. That's I think true. In, player in casual decks, it's definitely like appropriately costed and a pretty fair card, but I think that any playgroup that is okay with more higher power stuff or CEDH, if you land this card, you almost certainly just win with any number of infinite combos that this thing can can allow. Anything like Grim Monolith allows it, Basalt Monolith allows it. If you untap with it. You just, you stick this thing, throw it in your graveyard and reanimate it, and then just call it a day. Yeah. I mean, you just need to recognize that, hey, if this person has Nyx Mansion on the table, kill them or the Nyx Mansion immediately, and then whack them a few times for daring to play the Nyx Mansion. <laughs> Alright, so now we're going to move on to a different cycle. Now we're going on to the Intervention cycle. Uh, this one, I want to highlight specifically Heliod's Intervention. This one is X White White for an instant. Destroy X target artifacts or enchantments, or you gain twice X life. What do you guys think about this card? I think it's a staple for all white decks. Um, at first, I wasn't really turned on to it, only because you had to break the ceiling that Return to Dust kind of set, where it's four mana for two things. But considering that at instant speed, once you pay, once you go past the two white, you're now destroying things. At instant speed, you can just tap out and just start eliminating board states left and right. So I'm really big on Heliod's intervention. I think that with the more people who are going to be playing stuff like. Uh, smothering tithe the fact that this this can be a one-sided wrath of artifacts and enchantments as opposed to using something like austere command which can hit your own stuff is pretty important because white kind of needs to prop itself if you're doing like white or white red you need to prop yourself up on some artifacts and enchantments to kind of get to an even playing field and sometimes it feels bad to have to wrath your own stuff to stop brea from going crazy Oh yeah, definitely for sure. Like I don't know. Like I definitely think this is a like definitely solid card in EDH, and I definitely think it's probably, I think the best uh, intervention. Do you think you guys would agree with that? Absolutely. All right, and then two I would. No, I was just thinking of I'm out, I was cycling through the interventions in my head, and I think the only one that can possibly get up to that power level is actually Thassa's intervention, where for blue blue X. You can either counter target spell unless unless this controller pays twice of X, or you do a dig through time where the car number of cards you look at is the X value. Yeah, um, for sure. It's a, little, it's a little harder to cast because everyone's so used to dig through time having delves, so more often than not, you're just casting it for two. But I think that Heliod's power level for what it does for white is definitely um, stronger than what Thassa's does for blue. Yeah, I did want to bring up these two other interventions. I think, um, well, uh, Blacks is decent. Sure, it gets possibly kill a creature, gaining life, and exiles from the graveyard. It is pretty underwhelming to what we used Black being able to do, and Red's just pretty bad, if I'm gonna be honest. But I really like do do like the blue and the green interventions. Uh, you mentioned Ilya's intervention. Uh, sorry, uh, Thassa's intervention. I do think that card is actually very powerful in any like EDH control deck. Getting able to motor spell, uh, modal counter spell slash dig through time is actually very good. I think. 
I think having it as like a third or fourth copy, if you're already running that type of control, seems great. Like if you're already the type of deck that wants um, stuff like Cryptic Command or Dig Through, and Dig Through Time or uh, what's the the one from Hour of Devastation? The one uh, that, Supreme Will. Supreme Will. If you're already running cards like that, Thassa's Intervention seems like another good version of that. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, let's talk about the green one real quick. This is Nylea's Intervention. X green green for a sorcery. Choose one. Search your library for up to X land cards, not basic lands, but any lands. Reveal them, put them in your hand, then shuffle your library. Or it deals twice X damage to each creature with uh, with flying. And I think this, you're going to mainly be going to want to be using as the first one. If you have like a Golgari deck, go just pay four mana to get Urborg and Cabal Coffers or a Thespian Stage and um, Dark Depths. I think this card is actually very good. I think that I have being. I agree. I'm sorry. Uh, nope. Nicholas was saying. <laughs> I was going to say that I think that the fact that it searches for non basic lands makes it a strong contender. Something you want to look at is there are lands that have spell like effects. You wouldn't scoff at a card that said tutor X cards for green, green X. The only card we have like that has a starting cost of four, and then you still have to pay X. This is only two in X to find any number of lands. And if you've got spell-like lands, Maze of Ith, um, Ghost Quarter, you know, stuff that has other effects, this can just feel like five tutors in one card. On top of that, we can't ignore the mode of being able to get rid of flyers because it still astonishes me that flying, which is such a basic and evergreen mechanic from so long ago, can still just translate into unblockable for a lot of these decks that run into. As someone who runs green, I have to manually tell myself that I have to run ways to interact with flyers because, you know, now with Alela Artful Provocator uh, being in the format and being able to go so wide with flying, being able to, for what, three or four mana, just be able to board white flyers and then, you know, turn your team sideways to take them out. I think Nylias is a pretty good card, even for being a sorcery. Yeah, I sure. think that there's definitely uh, truth to the idea that flying just translates to unblockable sometimes. There has been more than one game I've won with my Grixis control deck, that's uh, Vile Smasher and Crom, uh, Ludevic's Opus, that has just won because Crom is a 4-4 flyer with haste. And it's like they deal with everything else that I'm doing and then get hit five times with a 4-4 flyer because they didn't plan for getting rid of a flying creature. Who would have thought? Yeah, for sure. So next up we have Archon of Sun's Grace. Two white-white for a 3-4 Archon with flying and lifelink. Pegasus creatures you control have lifelink, and whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, make a 2-2 white Pegasus creature token with flying. So we can get this out of the way early. Yes, this goes infinite with Enchanted Evening. Turns your Pegasus yeah. tokens into enchantments that trigger to make more. Now, provided it will also stall the game, or, sorry, stalemate the game if you have no way of breaking it. <laughs> but you can go infinite with it, and I'm certain if you plan on going infinite with it, you are also planning on winning by going infinite with it. That implies that you're running this in a deck like Daxos, Blessed by the Side, with something like Aetherflex Reservoir, where the moment that the Pegasi come in, you just get yourself up to 50, take a player out, get yourself up to 50, and then repeat the process till you win. Just machine gun everybody out of the game. Absolutely. Yeah, I, but besides that, I honestly 
I mean, sure, it could be an, it's uh, could be good in an enchantment deck, but I honestly don't think the ceiling is that high on this card, especially uh, in a commander like format where there's four players and two twos don't really scale that well. Especially because the Pegasi are only made when the enchantments come into play. Um, it, from there, it's sounding like you're having to splash into green or possibly into green and blue as well. Um, I'm trying to think of other cards that make Pegasi, and to be honest, the only card that I can think of that makes them is Sacred Mesa. So you're not even really lending yourself into a tribal strategy where you can use effects like um, Radiant Destiny and other effects to be able to pump your team and go in wide. I think that for more fo focused groups, like higher power, you know, eight, at least seven or eight on a scale, that this card probably won't scale very well. But if you're playing with Kestia or something from that precon, they're not generally that strong of commanders, you know, only like a five or a six. I think that there is some merit to just playing out your enchantment creatures and getting a bonus one. The fact that it's only four mana makes me feel like it's playable for lower power groups and actually a pretty decent card for lower power groups. If it were five, my opinion would change drastically. But four, I definitely think that it's something to consider if you're, you know, looking to play a deck of that power level. Yeah, for sure. So next up we have Nadir Kraken. I, so this card is a uh, one and a blue, uh, sorry, one blue blue for a two three Kraken. And whenever you draw a card, you may pay one colorless. If you do, put a one one counter on Nadir Kraken and create a one one blue tentacle token. So this card kind of reminds me of Ristic Study in a weird way. I know it's like you paying the mana whenever you draw a card and not like kind kind of like the other way. But if you have um. What's the card called? Like, this is another card that just goes, uh, if you have infinite mana with Kindred Discovery, just name uh, Tentacle on it, and you keep getting draw triggers whenever you make them. And so you ha if you have infinite mana with that, you go infinite with uh, Kindred Discovery as well. I mean, I don't. I think that's a fine combo. I don't think it's amazing. But besides that, in a vacuum, I do think the card is decent. Like, you keep getting repeatable bodies and making the Kraken even bigger whenever you draw cards. What do you guys think about it? I am so excited to put this card in my Azuri deck because it's kind of mid-range. It's not one of the like super aggressive Azuri decks, but it comes down, gets you an experience, and every time you draw a card, you're putting more experience by getting more tentacles, and the counters count. Obviously, Azuri puts counters on stuff, so there are things that care if your creatures have counters. So you got a big Kraken that has Flying and Trample from other cards. You got a bunch of 1-1s to get you more experience that you can also make large. So you can go wide and tall with this thing. That seems kind of disgusting in Azuri, not going to lie. I like, now that you brought up um, an interaction with Kindred Starry, just constantly being able to trigger the paid one to make the body, um, in a little bit more universal sense, you can, for two mana and a Mind's Eye, you could consistently be able just to turn after turn for two mana, make your creature bigger, draw a card, and make an additional body, which could, over time, you know, get you to where you need to either save yourself from a lethal attack or start applying pressure when needed. Yeah. So, the next card we're going to talk about here is Gravebreaker Lamia. This is one I'm actually very excited for because it slots in actually quite a few decks. This is 4 and a black for a 4-4 four, four enchantment creature, Snake Lamia. I did not know Lamia was a creature type, but here we are. Uh, it's, it has a lifelink, and when it enters the battlefield, search your library for a card, put it into your graveyard, then shuffle your library, so in Tomb, and spells you cast from your graveyard cost one less to cast. 
So uh, this was this obviously one? meant to work with the escape mechanic that is in the set. You get to search a library for a card with escape, put it into your graveyard, and then when you want to cast that out of your graveyard, it costs one less. However, this works very well in a multitude of graveyard-based EDH decks. Uh, to think of just two off the top of my head, uh, Chainer, the new Chainer, uh, I think it's Nightmare Adept. Is that the yep. right one? Yeah, so the new one, the Rakdos one from Commander 18, uh, I guess it was... Oh, geez, that was like over a year ago, but still. And Moldrotha. So both of these, you get a 5-mana and 2-mana body, and it just reduces the cost of everything you cast out of your graveyard, which I think is great. I think that that, that last line of text in decks like Moldrotha or uh, Chainer, it just says spells you cast cost one less to cast. Yeah. It just feels like a discount on everything attached to an extremely powerful effect, and it's not a spell... So you can just sack the Lamia and then cast that from your graveyard and then go in Tomb again. Being a creature, even if an expensive one, being a creature feels like a gigantic boon, not a weakness. Yeah, for sure. And something I'm actually very sad about is this being a 4-4. And while you may think, yeah, this is great, I have an Alesha list. And if this was a 2-2, being able to entomb every single turn would be absolutely the dream for me. What? Yeah, I, I could definitely see where in an Alesha deck you would definitely want just repeatedly being able to say things at the graveyard. Uh, when I first saw this, it reminded me of like um, Corpse Connoisseur and, and an effect like that where one would be like, well, with Corpse Connoisseur, you're able to, in a sense, get two shots out of it just off of the card by itself. But in decks like Muldrotha and um, Chainer Nightmare Adept, I could definitely see where this could help um, set up some combos or fill your grave with something you need to get, especially because it's a card and not a creature. So in Modrotha, big time, just being able to fill your graveyard with permanents that you need to deal with something on the board is super strong. Yeah, for sure. So the next card we're going to talk about is Storm Heralds. This is 2 and a red for a 3-2 Human Shaman with Haste. And when it enters the battlefield, return any number of aura cards from your graveyard to the battlefield attached to any creatures you control, not just the Storm Herald. Exile those auras at the beginning of your next end step, and if they would leave the battlefield, exile them instead of putting them anywhere else. So uh, I believe, Vrigalish, you put this on the review. Why did you want to talk about this one? Uh, the reason I wanted to bring this up, I was just putting down any card that I thought could be included in an AEDH deck or A Commander deck, because I know that you know the format's quite wide, and it's sometimes it's important to just... Remind the couple of people whose favorite deck is this commander, hey, this one's probably for you. Storm Herald seems like a great card to include in a deck like uh, Earl the Miststalker. Because if they get rid of Earl, if they make you sack him and all of your auras to go to the graveyard and you don't have Replenish yet, he seems like a fine way of taking someone out of the game by getting all those auras back for one swing again on Earl. And then, you know, knocking someone out of the game even after they got rid of him. I don't think he's going to find a place in a lot of decks. I think that as a red creature, this effect is really weird. And I think that while, yeah, it's cute that you could do Eldrazi Conscription, get it back and put it on something, I don't think that that's enough to build around. But Earl definitely wants to consider this guy. Yeah, for There sure. is actually a... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm Galaxy no, go for it. Oh, I was just going to say... Um... Along similar lines, a card, a deck that this card is automatically put in is Valduk. Because Valduk mm. is already running Sundial of the Infinite. So Storm Herald comes in, um, stacks up Valduk with all these auras. 
he then makes the bodies you go into combat you do whatever you want then you sundial the infinite so you keep the auras because the text says um at the beginning of your next end step so it Am just I the one that went for and <laughs> I'm like, did did I go deaf or what happened? Well. Yeah. So I feel this is definitely a reddish way of having one last hurrah to, you know, get those auras on, get that combat in, and attempt to do lethal damage from there. Oh shoot! Son of a. Did his cat just like come <laughs> destroy his keyboard again? He stole my job, became a ghost, and walked right through a wall. He just Sorry, peaced no, out. That's my bad. <laughs> By the way, I don't know if you're hearing it. Does does your voice sound like really glitchy to you? What do you mean? I'm I'm hearing like a lot of like static hey, feedback um, from you. So I heard. We're... Hey, I'm here. Oh, there you went. Oh, for me, is that better? Yeah. No, it still sounds like really robotic, but I guess if, if Aud- I can understand you, and if Audacity is recording you fine, I guess yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's fine on Audacity. Okay, then whatever. Okay. Uh, you... So... Hey guys, I have no idea what happened. What was the last thing you heard from me? Uh, you just started talking about what I thought was a genius idea, was including it in Valduk, which I didn't think of at all. And I was I was like, oh, that's a great idea. And you said something about Sundial of the Infinite, and then you cut off. So I would just start from the top, mention Valduk. Okay. So one deck that I thought this would be really strong in is Valduk, because Valduk is already running Sundial of the Infinite. So when you play Storm Herald, and then you stack up all these auras on Valduk, you get your 3-1 elementals, you do your combat however you wish, then before your end step, you Sundial the Infinite, you keep the auras, you keep the elementals, so normally what Valduk struggles with is that it builds up, builds up, builds up, but then the moment that you stop Valduk through a Wrath or you bounce or whatever, now all these auras are in your graveyard, and Red doesn't have a lot of opportunities to bring those auras back. Now we have, I know for sure we have one aura that gives him haste with the escape, but really if you're trying to be aura-centric, giving Valduk haste isn't really going to do you a lot of good. So that's why I think Storm Herald is just a perfect fit in for a Valduk deck altogether. This is why I love talking with other people about Commander is because I never would have thought of that. I was like, Earl is the only Aura's Commander that has red in it. That's the only one I can think of. And it's like, no, no, no. Valduk is definitely like a contender. I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, that seems actually pretty interesting. Uh, I don't know how it actually plays. So if anyone out there has a Valduk deck and they feel like trying it out, go ahead, do that. Let us know how it turns out. So the next card we have is Destiny Spinner. This is one and a green. I'll do this off the top of my head, so forgive me if I get something wrong. One and a green for a 2-3 something enchantment creature. Uh, creatures and enchantments you control can't be countered. And you can pay three and a green for a target land you control to become an XX uh, elemental creature until end of turn where X is the number of enchantments you control. Something it also like gives it trample, if that makes a difference. Yeah. So, uh, this card, the reason I was extremely interested in this one was because of the text, Creatures and Enchantments you control can't be countered. Uh, I know specifically I have a true lane deck, and it's not like on the top, like tip top of like CEDH metas, but it's like pretty powerful and it does end up with a combo. And for some reason I haven't been able to get my hands on a Dosan, which is like a, something that says uh, players can play spells only during their own turn. So when I saw this come out, I'm like, wait... Creatures and enchantments I control can't be countered. I mean, I didn't really care about the enchantments, mainly just the creatures. I'm like, wow, this is sweet. I'm going to slot this right in this deck. 
Now, while one would probably be running a card like Prowling Serpopod as a way to ensure that their creature spells resolve, um, when I saw Destiny, Sp Destiny Spinner being a Tuvasa player myself, I definitely thought, okay, now I have to find room to fit this in because I, for one, haven't picked up a Replenish yet. So normally when my enchantments don't resolve, I have so little resources to be able to bring them back that now that Destiny Spinner, who is also an enchantment, so I draw cards from my Enchantresses and my Eidolons, being able to know that they will resolve or the Bruna that I'm trying to get on the battlefield does resolve, it's a it's definitely a great card. I would have picked up the card at rare, even if they didn't put that bottom text of making a land of XX. <laughs> like, I would just do it just simply to make sure so, that my enchantments resolve. So you're telling me that you would have picked up this card if it were a, a two-mana rare with only, let's say only creatures you control can't be, creature spells you cast can't be countered. And let's say instead of a 2-3, it was a 1-1. One, one. And let's say that this card was already printed in 10th edition. I honestly would. It, it, it was. It was a two-mana 1-1. One, one cre it's like Gaius Herald. Two-mana 1-1. One, one creature oh, spells really? you control can't be countered. Yeah. <laughs> that's what, that's how much like creatures have gotten better, is it was a two-mana 1-1 one, one with just creature spells you cast can't be countered. It didn't even like protect itself. That's it. This is a 2-3 creatures and enchantments, and it's got a mana sink on it. And it's an uncommon now. Huh. To answer your question, yes, I would get a two mana, two mana one one at rare that simply lets my creatures resolve, even if it didn't protect itself. We have asceticism and lightning greaves to take care of that protection business. So yeah, I would definitely pick that up. I actually have no idea about Gaia's Herald. Yeah, I honestly didn't know that card existed. It's not a lot of card that I think uh, commander players look at unless they have like a really oppressive control player in their meta. But yeah, there you go. That's what the the first thing I saw when I saw Destiny Spinner. I'm like, wow, creatures have come a long way for this card to be printed you know as like so much insanely better than a card that already existed like Absolutely. this thing outshines it in every way and i think that the the last line of text is probably going to be trinket text for a lot of people i can definitely say for my car metro go wide deck that's kind of in the middle of the road this could easily be a win condition because you get a bunch all of my creatures are enchantments or if you stick like a enchanted evening and make all of your lands enchantments it's like pay four and you get a temporary nine nine with trample and haste seems pretty dece if yeah. it makes you feel any better destiny spinner is an uncommon so this isn't even something where you only get one shot at getting it in your rare slot you have three chances of picking up this uncommon in every pack to be fair i don't think it's that amazing and limited though i mean it's a two mana mm. two three and limited it's better it could beat a grizzly bear in combat that's not nothing <laughs> That I can't. You know, that the good old bear that got pre-printed. Uh, I, anyway. I think in Limited, this helps um, kind of the Naya Shard and the Jun Shard of Limited be able to deal with such oppressive things such as um, we have the three mana counters, we have Deny the, the Divine, and we have oh, the, the four mana counter spell. This doesn't get around Ashiok's the Ashiok enchantment because Ashiok exiles. exiles the spell so we can get around it but just being able to know that your creatures are going to land and the auras you're trying to put on them are going to land um, could be useful quick interjection please don't play 4 mana counter attack spell scry 2 even limited I just don't think it's very good just run dissolve it was the better one to begin with it was probably a throwback to dissolve it wanted to figure out a way to bring dissolve but make it stronger and somehow make it cost effective 
Scry 2 is not worth it. We already have Dismiss, which draws you a card, which is strictly better than setting up your next two draws or filtering them away. Yeah. All right, so the next card we have up is Nightmare Shepherd. Two black black for a 4-4 four, four enchantment creature demon with flying. And whenever a non-token creature you control dies, you may exile it. If you do, make a token copy of that creature, except it's a 1-1 one, one, and it's a nightmare in addition to its other types. So, this card is actually seeing quite a bit of play in Standard right now in the Monoblock Devotion shell. And there's actually a Prime Speaker Vanifar combo uh, shell that I actually have an arena, a ton of fun by the way. But I think this card's actually pretty solid in EDH, uh, especially in a singleton format. Getting basically a go back on every single creature that you have if it dies and it's not exiled, especially if a board wipe happens, yeah. your board isn't touched, it, they're just all shrunk into one ones. Sir Conrad would like to oh, pitch God. in here and say that this card oh, is amazing God. in that every creature that dies on your end not only gets the death trigger, but gets the exile trigger from leaving the graveyard. And the then the token, should that die from, I don't know, Skull Clamp, Seer, Woe Strider, which we just got, Phyrexian Altar, Ashton's Altar, the list goes on. If for some reason a 1-1 one -one would die, you get that trigger as well. That's so off disgusting. of one creature with Nightmare Shepherd, you get a drain for three to the table. This isn't your Blood Artist effect where it's like, okay... This one, per this one opponent is losing life. That's three damage. Actually, hold on. That's nine damage across three opponents. This this card, this card's amazing. That's gross. I hate it. I mean, when I first, I didn't think about that at all. But again, sometimes it's important to remember that uncommon commanders are pretty darn strong. Uh, the only thing I thought of when I saw this is that hey, you can protect your commander from dying. Four mana, four four with flying that re-triggers any of your commanders enters the battlefield effects and saves you on having to pay for them an extra time every single time they die. Seems like a fine card in some decks, especially in like mid-range power decks. I mean, the idea of somebody killing my Kervek, uh, the Merciless, and then getting yeah, he's smaller, but whatever. It was his effect. I played him for anyway, and I don't have to pay the extra nine mana to replay him. Seems like a decent inclusion. Plus, he's a four Are mana these four four. Is black? Uh, I believe it's the copy. No. Uh, it's just a copy of the creature that was made. It doesn't turn him black. It just makes him nightmares. Darn it! Because I was thinking to just just to show you what color I was loving in Throne of Eldraine. I was thinking of a Yara first of Loftwain. Thinking of ridiculous combinations of like Solemn Simulacrum dying, Nightmare Shepherd exiles it. I thought the nightmares were black. So just the mm. idea of a of a solid simulacrum dying, getting exiled, you get the draw trigger from that, get the land from the nightmare coming in, and draining the table for one. But oh, unfortunately, they couldn't make Nightmare Shepherd Mythic, so I guess we'll just have to leave with making a copy. But no, I'm definitely liking Nightmare Shepherd. I think there's a lot of different decks that will definitely like him, even if you don't like reanimation. Like I can definitely see someone just throwing this in just to get. Like you were saying, they're running it in Model Black Devotion deck. So having Great Merchant of Asphodel, you know, drain the table twice without any reanimation, sounds pretty good. Yeah. Uh, one fan. other thing to note: if there's any other deck that wants this card, uh, Elenda, the Dusk Rose, you get oh, her dies no, trigger. You Alenda. get all the vampires. <laughs> oh, you, Elenda gets you, sent back to the zone too. Yep, and then you don't have to worry about holding up a reanimation spell for her. This is the so, card that Alenda's been wanting for a very, very long time. 
especially because it's just the card itself. All right, allowing, to be f- allowing the reanimation. To be fair, I think if Alenda got her way, that would just be the like the first line would just be like that's how commander replacement works is it dies and then goes to the command zone. But in the interim, this seems like a fine like middle ground. Yeah. I don't know, that seems pretty good to me. The next card we have is Tectonic Giant. Two red red for a 3-4 elemental giant. When it attacks or becomes the target of a spell or ability opponent controls, choose one. It deals three damage to each opponent or exile the top two cards of your library. Choose one of them until the end of your tu- n- until the end of your next turn you can play that card, even if it's a land. Uh, what do you guys That's think about weird. this one? I didn't know they were printing mono red titans. Because <laughs> this this is this is functionally like an inferno titan. But you don't get as many, you don't get the mirror march, you know, loops where it's like, okay, I flipped six heads. All right, where is this going? Um, I really like it. I think the people, the players who are running the head, the Eternal or Torbrand thing, the Redfell should definitely be finding a way to get this into your deck because with so many ways to give things haste in red, just being able to turn it sideways and three the table before combat damage seems really strong. Yeah, My I thoughts were, uh, I like playing a lot of Boros decks, and I know that like sometimes the best answer to what do you do about red or white's inability to draw cards is play another color. I think that the the ability to, like, uh, what is it, telling time? Like, like a weird red telling time every time this thing attacks seems pretty decent. I, I thought it exiled the top two cards of your library, does. and you're able to play them. So it reminds me a lot of... Um, Conspiracy Take the Crown Grenzo. Yeah, there you go. Combat. But no, I agree. Like Normally red has that problem where it doesn't have a lot of strong draw, so Wizards has attempted to mitigate that with impulse draw, like the things we see in Outpost Siege. Um, I think we also got an enchantment where during your end step, if you have a creature power for a greater, you exile the top card of your library and you can play it. Being able to do that on this creature, and I believe red has the highest density of extra combat <laughs> steps, which I believe also means that if you just start swinging on multiple combats, you could stack, you know, the exiles to where now, with with like two or three extra combats, you can have an entirely separate hand to be able to play out for the turn. Yep. Speaking of new red impulse draw, let's talk about Furious Rise. This is two and a red for an enchantment. At the beginning of your end step, if you control a creature with power four or greater, exile the top card of your library. Until another card is exiled with Furious Rise, you may play that card. I know that's not the exact wording, but that's what it does. I love this card. Like, I have a mono red Atali deck, and I slaughtered, as soon as I saw this card in, I slaughtered it right away. And whenever I've had it on the battlefield, it's just a Phyrexian arena. It's never not triggered for me. It's just so easy to trigger. It gets you a draw basically until your next end step. It's just a red Phyrexian arena. Laughless Dragon Queen is also really appreciating the ability to have things that matter about how strong creatures are because the dragon she makes are five fives. So even if you were to get rid of the creature that made the token, you'd have to pretty much do a board wipe to even you know, clear the table. And I mean, even Atali, because I'm pretty sure Atali's not running, you know, little Iron Mirrors or Blading Mirrors to ramp mana. I'm pretty sure we're seeing some very strong, you know, very high-powered creatures in that deck. I mean, <laughs> I'm not saying I don't not run Palladium Mirror, but it, it's literally yeah, a worn, <laughs> it's literally a worn Power Stone. Oh, we call it the Soul Ring on Legs in my playgroup. 
I mean, if you think about it, it's literally one power stone. Yeah, it doesn't have haste, so. It doesn't have haste. Yeah, it's a three mana artifact that you can't use the activated ability to get two mana on the journey play it. Yeah, okay, one power stone. You convinced me. <laughs> He's a power one power stone, stone with tired legs. Yeah. I'm I'm hyped for Furious Rise. The, the uh, like you said with Atali, my first thought was Archangel Avison. My my Archangel Avison deck is beyond hype for this card. It's it's card draw in Boros, and the good thing is if you get a card with it and somebody destroys it, you have access to that card. Period. They can't stop you from playing the card once it's been exiled unless you exile something else with Furious Rise. That so, is a condition that we don't see a lot, so I'm glad you picked up on that because I actually completely forgot that the condition, the length of time you have, because I automatically assumed, oh, you're eggs on a card in red, sweet, you have it to the end of the turn. All right, so we have until the turn, but I forgot that the the phrasing is until you exile another card with it. Um, yeah. I think there was a, oh, light up the stage is the card I'm thinking of, where you exile two cards from the top two or three cards mm-hmm. on top of your library, and until the end of your next turn, you get to play them. Um, this being able just to say, okay, well, until we do it again, well, how long can that be? Yeah, I don't know. I'm a huge fan of this card. It's just a red Phyrexian arena in any deck that would want it. The next card we have is another card I'm so mad about its power and toughness. It's it's Woe Strider. Three mana <laughs> for a 3-2. Yes, if it has three power. I'm so mad. I'm so mad. Uh... It has the text, Sacrifice a Creature, Scry 1, and when it enters the battlefield, make a 0-1 GOAT token, and you can escape it for uh, 3 black black and and 4 other cards, and it escapes with 2 one, 1 counters on it. I am so mad that this is not a 2-2. Two, two. Even a 1-2 would be fine. I just can't reanimate it with Alesha, and now I'm sad. So the reason I, I wanted to talk about this card, and the reason why I think that some people might... Some people who aren't as familiar with the commander format look at this card and are just like, okay, it sack a creature, scry one, get a goat, and then you can escape it back. Uh, quick search on EDH rec. Uh, Viscera Seer is played in 17,000 decks on their database. This is Viscera Seer with a relevant body, an extra free body, and the ability to escape it from her graveyard. Yeah, it's more expensive, so maybe it's less viable in like... CEDH groups where mana is super tight, but this is basically Viscerous Seer, but but better and more expensive. Yeah, it's yeah. Great, great I think card. this is the yeah. I think this is the second copy of Viscerous here and a lot of Black X Aristocrat decks. Um, one thing that breaks my heart um, about it is that the activation cost is sacrificing a different creature. Yeah. So. If you were to try and mind control it, there's no way you could, like, you'd have to use an outside sacrifice outlet to save your Woe Strider. Um, But I mean, getting a second Viserys here, yeah, that's true. Uh, With Viserys' price only going up over time, Woe Strider is definitely also a fairly budgety option. Because I think um, as I was trying to prepare for a trip, I'll be taking a couple of weeks. I think Viserys here is now in, like, the $2.50 range. Oh wow! Uh, for yeah, so being able to now give it—it's only a dollar difference between that and Woe But if you have multiple decks, like those, do- like we—you see those people on Facebook or Twitter who are showing off these large collection of decks, like a dollar here and there across all those decks, it it can it can definitely accumulate. 
So this is a little um, off topic from talking about the cards. How many commander decks do you gentlemen own? I don't have an exact number, but approximately six. Um, what, what about um, you? Thirteen. Okay. I was just curious because you mentioned the people that you see with uh, large collections of commander decks, and I have 41 in total. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. <laughs> We're here like with 6 and 13. Like, okay, <laughs> we, we got a shot. We could keep up with this guy. See, this is... Ass, <laughs> this is why I, was, I wanted to talk about some of the cards that seemed less powerful is when you have a bigger collection that goes from, you know, really competitive down to like Gideon Tribal... You know, for a lot of cards, there's a place for almost anything. And if I see something that's interesting or has a unique effect or is in a unique color, there's almost certainly a place for it. It just depends on which one of the, like, 500 commanders wants that card. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's a very solid card, don't get me wrong. But, like, I don't know. I, I think it's a very good card, even if it's just more a more expensive Viscerous here. Yeah, I'd have to agree. All right, so the next card we're going to talk about is one that is making waves in other formats, particularly right now Legacy. It's Underworld Breach. One in a red for an enchantment. Uh, each card in your graveyard has escape. The escape cost is its mana cost plus exiling three cards and sacrifice Underworld Breach at the beginning of this uh, at the beginning of the end step. So this card is being compared to Yawgmoth's Will, and I don't think very unfairly either. If there's a red X deck that can um, uh, fill its graveyard fairly quickly, this is basically just a Yawgmoth's Will for one less mana. And people have been, brought, been bringing up the combo with uh, Underworld Reach, Lion's Eye Diamond, and Wheel of Fortune. So you cast the Lion's Eye Diamond, pitch your hand, get three mana, get the, uh, play the Wheel of Fortune. You basically just mill your entire deck and leaving... Uh, one card in your graveyard each time, and then you can just play Lab Man or something like that and win with the last um, with the last Lion's Eye Diamond getting three blue. The reason why that combo particularly works with a card like Underworld Breach that you weren't able to see in a combo with Past in Flames, which Modern has been using very much with um, with Gift Storms, is that all it says is that cards in your graveyard have escape and their escape cost is such and such so normally when we see like the ability to be granting flashback mission briefing snapcaster mage recoup and stuff like that they always usually say when you cast a spell this way exile instead of sending it to your graveyard um one of the people in my play group is particularly competitive minded so when he saw underworld breach he had mentioned like yeah lion's eye diamond and wheel of fortune or windfall if you don't have what ninety dollars for a Wheel of Fortune. I managed so, to pick one up for like 65 I mean, I'm yeah, not saying that's not, nothing, but you can find some cheaper prices. Yeah, that's the thing about um, getting into EDH. Like, if you see a card and you want it, if you're able to get it, you should probably pick that up only because the price of these cards, especially for older cards that haven't been reprinted or are protected by the reserve list, their prices are normally only going to go up. Like, a couple of times they'll drop, but more often than not, they're just going to keep going up and up, just like Wheel of Fortune. I think a buddy of mine, I think, so I've been playing for five years. So I think in like 2016, I think he picked it up for less than 30. Oh, wow. Yeah, he, he got it at a super ridiculous price. And at the time, I was still new to Magic in general. So the idea 
of pitching your hand just to draw seven, I'm thinking to myself, well, wait a minute. I, I'm running these cards because I want to play them, not because I just want to discard them all and then draw that many and then draw seven. Like, what about the cards in my hand? But having now seen a lot of, having played a lot of games and watched a lot of gameplay, um, I can definitely see where Wheel of Fortune can be strong. And now with Underworld's Breach and cards like Lion's Eye Diamond, um, yeah, discarding your hand to draw seven. Yeah, I can see it. So, <laughs> about Underworld Breach, how do you guys feel about playing this card as just like a... F I, I know the combo potential for this thing, but what do you feel about running this card as like a red E-Wit? Just like totally fair, just being able to just like a cast regress. cards that you shouldn't be. Yeah. I mean... I think... I, I'm sorry, Galaxy, go for it. I've been talking a lot. Yeah, no, uh, I don't... I mean, to be honest, there is... Like, if you... You have to dig a little bit, but there is quite a bit of recursion in Mono Red, especially if you go in for like... Uh, artifacts, uh, like an artifact sub-theme, like um, Mirror Retriever, Scrap Trawler, Buried Ruin, all these you can get back artifacts quite easily, but if you're not an artifact deck, I think that's kind of a solid idea, but you would have to mill yourself consistently, and I think you would want more than just one card off of uh, this card. You'd want to like, get it at like three or four cards. Do you think, I think that, I mean, because Ewit's a three-mana two-one that gets you, you know, regrow something. I think that if I got only two cards with this thing, it was a two mana, you know, double regrowth. Two that mana seems draw playable. Two. Yeah, two mana, two mana regrowth, which is sometimes quite different. Because in Commander, if you've already played your one copy of an effect, you can't draw another copy of that effect if you don't have one. So sometimes it's super important to get back a card that you have already played because there isn't another one like it. Yeah. It takes a little bit more convincing to get me sold on playing um, Underworld Breach fairly, only because this card does nothing in the early game, and the only potential I really see for it is in the late mid to late game, where you've played a third or half your deck already, and you're able to play Underworld Breach, and then it becomes a hey, look at all these cards that I have in here. Now I'm going to spend this turn exiling the ones that I can't bring back and now rebuilding my board state. Yeah. But that's just the way I see it. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, so the next card we have on the list is Dryad of Elysian Grove. This is a 2 and a green for a 2-4 enchantment creature. Uh, I believe it's not a Dryad. It's like something else. Um, it's a nymph. Yeah, Nymph. I don't know why it's not a Dryad, but whatever. Uh, each land you control has each basic land type in addition to its other types, and you may play an extra land each turn. So this is literally a 3-mana Prismatic Omen plus Exploration on a 2-4. What do you guys think about this? I think this card is nuts. <laughs> yeah. This card by itself makes Valakit playable in the format. Like... I know that some. I know that originally to make Valakit work, we were looking at Prismatic Omen, which had been quite expensive because it was printed in the very infamous Lorwyn block. So trying to get copies of Prismatic Omens was setting people back like 15, 20 bucks at one point. So now just being able to not only be able to make Valakit, you know, be able to hit people like that, but to play an additional land, it's super strong. I think it's pointing to the fact that uh, Wizards of the Coast is looking to push the power level of standard 
and through the brawl decks, they're trying to push the power level of commander. And this rare, I believe it is, is yeah. definitely a sign of where future, where the future of card design is going. And I'm here for the ride. I mean, and honestly, to say nothing about Cabal Coffers, too. I mean, there's so much you can do with, with this. <laughs> like, I mean, you don't even have to, like, go over it. Just, like, with a lot of new cards, you have to figure out the space. Even if they're powerful, you have to find the space that they fit. For this guy, it's like, all right, go find any combo or any synergy that works with Prismatic Omen. Now you got another one of those. <laughs> like, yeah. we don't really have to convince anyone of the, the power of this card. This It's one mana more for an Exploration, which is like a $30 card, plus Prismatic Omen, which is a $30 card. Guys, this guy is massive. Yeah, like, well, it's literally just the cost of one card of a Prismatic Omen plus a uh, explosion on the body of a Corsair of Krufix. Like, I don't know. I, like, I think people, like, and this, like, exacerbates this problem even more. People are tired of Watsi just playing generically broken and good green cards. While, like, to be fair, White did get the Heal Edge Intervention, which is solid. But then they get, like, the new Daxos, which is, like, a Soul Sister. And then Black got Sir Conrad in the previous set, which is, like, a very good commander just by himself. Mm, yeah, it's it's definitely showing that they're liking green. And I think what's happening is they're wanting to make sure... There's some comment about how green used to be bad in Standard for a very long time, and now green is being good. Um, speaking of just being in green... Uh, the way that I see this card, even if you're running just a model green deck like either Azusa or whatever, this could be your budget option for Oracle Moldaya. Because that card hasn't been reprinted since Zendikar, and that price is only going up. Now, I know we have the Commander Masters Green coming in Q4 of 2020, but we don't really know what's going to come in that set. We don't know... If it's going to be reprints or if it's going to be strictly new cards. We don't even know if Commander Legends will reprint Oracle Moldaya for us. So having this card to be able to play an extra land for turn on a body in mono green, yeah, I definitely say it's worth picking up, even if all of your forests that you need are also mountains, islands, plains, and swamps. Yeah, for sure. So the next card we got is Archon of Falling Stars. Four white white for a 4-4 four, four creature Archon with flying. And when it dies, you may return target enchantment card from your graveyard to the battlefield. So uh, kind of like a reverse Academy Rector in a way. I don't know. What do you guys think about this one? Uh, I think say infinites with animate dead for two. I yeah. mean, what doesn't, honestly? Well, with this one, I think the way you looped it was if Archon of Falling Stars... Was it, it actually, you know, what it reminds me of is the Gift of Immortality Sun Titan loop, where one will bring back the other, which brings back the first type of thing. All you so, need is uh, Sack Outlet. You mean Blasting Station, where which will untap when the Arkham comes into play and you can beam the table? Darn or right. just uh, Boon Weaver Giant plus Pattern of Rebirth. Yep. Which... Yep. A another, another combo that, uh, another. I, uh, iteration of that combination so being able to come off with one other card infinitely is is pretty strong now they balanced it out they made it white they made it six mana so it's not something that's just going to be easily okay <laughs> well we're just going to play the game naturally and watch me play my 
six mana creature to let it die and bring anime dead back. No, I definitely think it's going to be um, Gravebreaker, Lamia, Bury the Arcan, and then anime dead or Necromancy, Dance of the Dead. Uh, Your variety of enchantment um, reanimation and go to town. I love how uh, it being white is enough of a downside to actually bring it up. (laughs) Because they're not going to give white ramp for anything. I actually... um, I had... I had bought some packs and I pulled a foil Birth of Miletis and I made room for it in mono white, even with Oresco's Explorer, Knight of the White Orchid, Gift of Estates. White needs the ramp. I don't know. You... That six mana is just like, forget it. If I draw the card, if I have the six mana, sure, we'll throw it out there, but. It's, what are you talking it's about? No what... mana. White is the best ramp. You've got Soul Ring. You've got Grim Monolith. You've got <laughs> Mana Crypt, Mana Vault. All these OP yeah, white go. ramp cards. Look at cards. all this great white ramp. <laughs> okay. Anyways, I am so, I'm so glad that only White could be running these cards. You guys are naming. I should be writing these down. Um, certainly, no other color could possibly run these. You know what? With cards like that, White may be able to outramp Green, which says a heck of a lot. And then, anyways, next up we have Dream Shaper Shaman. Five and a red for a 5-4 enchantment creature Minotaur Shaman. And at the beginning of your end step, you may pay two and a red and sacrifice a non-land permanent. If you do, reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a non-land permanent card. Put that card onto the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of your, of your library in a random order. So, you basically just get to cast a Polymorph on a non-land permanent. Uh, it's fun. I don't think it's very good, but it's fun. I think that there's... I'm I think sorry, that, you were saying for <laughs> I think that there's some world where you cheat this thing out and then repeatedly polymorph your own stuff. But I agree. I, the reason I put this on this list is because I just think it's like a really fun card to include in a deck where you either want to sacrifice your stuff or have stuff to sacrifice. Like if you're running like a, a mid-powered Corvold deck, this guy seems like a fine curve topper to both grow Corvold and also just keep upgrading your stuff. Yeah, I don't know. A very valid point. So next up we have three cards that are kind of in like the same, I guess, uh, like section of decks. I don't know. We have Hateful Eidolon, Inevitable End, and Rise to Glory. Hateful Eidolon is a black for a 1-2 enchantment creature spirit with lifelink, and whenever an enchanted creature dies, draw a card for each aura you control that was attached to it. Inevitable End is 3 in a black for an enchantment aura, enchant creature, uh, enchanted creature has at the beginning of your upkeep sacrificed a creature and rest of glory is five white black for a sorcery choose one or both return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield or return target aura card from your graveyard to your battle to the battlefield and a funny th- fun thing about rise to glory it can get around it can enchant hexproof creatures because you put it onto the battlefield straight on without having a target the game's like oh this needs to tar- this needs to enchant something. You're like, okay, I'll enchant that thing. It doesn't actually target. So, what do you guys think about this one? It's like a prison deck, like a like negative enchantment deck. What do you guys think? I think that it would be a cool way to build like Dacos or like a prison Mardu and uh, Marchesa, uh, Queen Marchesa deck, where you're, you know, putting negative enchantments on your opponent's creatures to either kill them or get rid of them or you know stop them from being a problem. And then Hateful Eidolon being able to refill it seems like a solid plan for that type of deck. I like Rise to Glory as a card because it's one of the very few cards we ever get 
printed period where not only can we reanimate a creature, but we're able to actually pull a non-creature card from our graveyard and be able to put it onto the battlefield equipped to something. Um, like Frigglish was saying, just being able in a Daxos deck where you know casting enchantments matters and chances are you'll have some auras um, on something. As far as the Hateful Eidolon goes, it reminds me of the Battle for Zendikar core that we got. Whenever a creature that's equipped with something dies, you draw a card. Um... I feel it's a great recovery plan. If you stack all your all your auras on one creature and it happens to die, you draw from that. I just don't know if it's a card that I want to go to an existing deck that I have to find a slot for. If I'm building a deck fresh and I'm trying to stay on kind of the budgety side, I want to see how it works. I'll definitely put it in. Yeah, for sure. So next up we have Whirlwind Denial. This is two and a blue for an instant. For each, I believe, I don't, I don't have the card in front of me, but it's for each spell and ability you don't control, counter it unless the controller pays for. So this is kind of a, I believe most of the time you're going to be using this card as just kind of a uh, one for one with your opponent, just a, kind of a bad mana leak. But there are the times, someone brought this up a while ago, people are testing it because something fun is that it counters the Eldrazi Titans and their cast effects. So if they cast a Kozilek, Whirlwind Denial, they don't get to draw the cards, which they were really banking on. They don't get that big Annihilator Titan. Something with Ulamog, they don't get those XL2 target permanents or the destroyed target permanent. So I don't know. What do you guys think about this one? Uh, I think that because I have played Stifle Effects in Commander before, I think that people underestimate how powerful a stifle-type effect is. I, I guarantee you that if you can find space for this in a deck, it will it will be useful most of the time, and it will win you games sometimes. By just, they're like, I didn't know that you could counter my Planeswalker Ultimate. I didn't know that you could, you know, do stuff, this kind of stuff, or that you were planning on it. They just don't plan for stuff like that. They don't plan for cards like this. As much as I appreciate Flusterstorm having been reprinted at 3 mana and being able to deal with abilities, I actually like the idea that 1, it's only your opponent's stuff, but 2, that it deals with abilities because as someone who's played and conspired a tooth and nail to grab an Avenger of Zendikar and a Perforos, having gone through <laughs> all that work to do that just to get it Whirlwind Denied would be so soul-crushing. Oh, and as someone who runs a Yara, for those who know what Plague of Vermin does with a Yara, um, just being able to massively stop a wide number of things on the stack, functionally stopping Storm, um, I was so glad to be able to have picked this up in packs, and it's immediately in my Spellslinger deck right now because it's such a great card. I wish I pulled more, and I'll probably look to, to be getting more because I feel that just being able to stop effects like that, especially when so many are on the stack, is super strong. Yeah, for sure. Next up, we have Flicker of Fate. One in a white for an instant. Exile target creature or enchantment you control, then return it to the battlefield under its owner's control. I mean, this is just the fine flicker effect. It's not great, not horrible. There's not a lot of flickers that can flicker enchantments. There are a couple of them, but not enough that you can be like, well, there's so many to pick from, I'd never run this. Being able to flicker enchantments, I, if your deck wants to, being able to flicker enchantments seems like a thing that you should consider and a thing that you should, you know, be looking at. 
Especially if you're oblivion ringing, oblivion ringing or banishing lighting people's commanders, you could then blink the oblivion ring, which since the commander more likely went to the command zone, it's not under it, you can be able to freely um, start re-exiling um, other, other permanents on the board. If you're playing Brago, you can kind of build your deck to maximize this. Um, but otherwise, I'm saying with Galaxy here, like, it's cool. It's another blink effect in white. So if you really needed the density, you could get it. But I don't think there are really any enchantments out there that scream, like, um, that they will become broken because Flicker of Fate was printed. I mean, it's fun with Sagas. Yeah, it's fun with Sagas. It's fun with um, one of the, the things that I was considering is maybe putting it in Amina 2 to have another thing that can flicker enchantments so that you can flicker and re-enchant uh, uh, a creature with Imprisoned in the Moon. You can draw four more cards with Liliana's Contract. That's kind of the stuff that I included in Amina 2, and it might be nice to have something that can flicker not just creatures and some of the other stuff that only Amina 2 can get to. Yeah. Uh, the Eldest Reborn is another great saga that has some very good first two chapters um a couple of cards i was playing in my brago deck which you can run in minotaur is um trial of knowledge and oath of jace which are some heavy draws that you can be able to blink and get some value out of so again it's good but i don't think it it changes the view of the format for me yeah for sure so next up we have Ashok Nightmare Muse. This is our second Planeswalker we're talking about for this review. Three black blue for a five five loyalty legendary Planeswalker Ashok. Plus one created two three blue and black nightmare creature token, which with whenever this creature enters the battle uh, attacks or blocks, sorry, each opponent exiles the top two cards of their library. Minus three return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. Then that player's then that player exiles a card from their hand. Or minus seven, you may cast up to three face-up cards your opponents own from exile without paying the mana costs. So this this is a fun card. That. What I love about Nightmare Muse is that this actually combos with Ashiok Nightmare Weaver because form because the original Ashiok would exile the top three cards of a player's library. And then you had to reduce her own loyalty to be able to cast creatures exiled by her. So now with this card, you could use Nightmare Weaver to exile three. Then if this Ashiok Nightmare Weaver, who's or Ashiok Nightmare Muse, who's making two threes that uh, exiles, you know, permanent exiles cards from your opponent's deck for either trying to deal damage or trying to prevent damage. Um, I I like it. Um, I feel it's a little build around I don't feel it's something that you would just splash anywhere, but in Super Friends, I can dig it. In like a Grixis Super Friends deck? That's that's kind of where I was picturing it is in one of my Grixis control decks because making creatures is a viable way of winning the game. Absolutely. Um, I think like Nicol Bolas the Ravager being your commander and in that style of a Grixis Super Friends deck? Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, also, uh, Ashiok is not a girl. Just FYI. I apologize. You're absolutely <laughs> correct. I just, they, I was like, uh, if somebody's going to be listening to this, they're going to hear it and they're going to be like, I want to correct it and I'm going to beat him to the punch. <laughs> that is true. I apologize. That is correct. They have not dived entirely into that. I believe the lore explanation behind it was that the energy of like the nightmares kind of faded that line but i'm kind of glad that we have a planeswalker that does not identify in that fashion i know we had 
Alesha, who kind of filled that void for a bit, but to have a planeswalker do it now, yeah. I think it's I think Alesha it's definitely was, a positive stride in that direction. Alesha was uh, just like trans, um, and then we had Hellar, who was like non-binary. Ashiok is more that they they don't have a gender at all. It's not that they don't that they're like you know non-binary by choice. They just don't have one. Hmm. Which is, you know, slightly different, but figured I'd say something. It's a thing. No, absolutely. That's a very good point. Yeah. All right. So next up we have Calyx, Destiny's Hand. This is two green-white for a four-mana legendary planeswalker Calyx. This is a new character, so uh, it'll be interesting to see where this card takes us. Plus one, look at the top four cards of your library. You may reveal an enchantment card from among them and put them put that card into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. Minus three, exile target creature or enchantment you don't control until target enchantment you control leaves the battlefield. And minus seven, return all enchantment cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. So I think this is a pretty solid Selesnya enchantment commander. The plus one is basically an impulse. The minus three is uh, make something else an O-ring. And the minus seven is replenish. That's what the card is called, right? Yes. Yeah, so I think this is definitely a very solid Planeswalker for any Selesnya or Bant enchantress deck. I think that this card gets a lot better if you have a way of making sure that the stuff that he's leashing to, the stuff that he's O-ringing, is indestructible. So if you were playing, like, Karametra, I think that he gets a lot better because it's a lot harder to remove an indestructible enchantment. So you can just start leashing, like, three or four things to Karametra. Yeah. yeah, I I definitely I actually did not even think about um chaining Calyx's effect to something like Karametra where now you're on the exile or it's gone plan. Um yeah, chaining it to a god is definitely strong. I liked Calyx's ability because we didn't really have a planeswalker that lended itself to the Enchantress strategy. So now to get Seder Enchantress, the Tessin Champion, and now we have a Planeswalker to put into our Enchantress Voltron decks. I was a big fan of Calyx from the beginning. Not so much what he did in the lore and how he was able to Planeswalk or discovered how to Planeswalk, but I definitely like him for the format. Yeah, definitely seems pretty sweet. Next up we have a real fun one, Allure of the Unknown. Three black-red for a sorcery. Reveal the top six cards of your library. An opponent exiles a non-land card from among them. Then you put the rest into your hand. That opponent may cast that exile card without paying its mana cost. So, this one is just really fun. I don't think it's the best. But to be fair, it is a five-mana draw five. Like, even if your opponent gets to cast the best one for free. I cast this uh, when I was playing with my Queen Marchesa deck. I exiled the top six cards. My One of my opponents got a soul ring. And then I drew two lands, a planeswalker, and like a couple other like good creatures that I had. So it was a draw five that gave my opponents a soul ring. And in the context of EDH, that's not that bad. This card you know, definitely. Like, I'll play this card, and the like. I'll I'll play this card, and the cards I'll reveal will be straight five lands, and then the bomb that turns <laughs> that turns the game against me. So I'm just like, uh, then again, I'm not more into, I'm not, I'm not into the chaotic aspect of EDH. Like I like having a plan and if things go right, having a backup plan and utilizing that. So the idea of just, all right, here's six cards. Oh, look, there's clearly one card that I would want to keep, 
but the guy I targeted, you know, knows the format. He's not going to just let me keep this card. It reminds me a bit of how you interact with Dubious Challenge, where you, within reason, could set up the deck to where the picks they have are not going to be particularly advantageous for anyone. So, like, a lot of Fleshback Marauder effects or Wraths, deal damage to every player, that type of thing. No, I don't know. It's fun. I don't know how amazing it is, but I like the card and I like a little bit of fun when I play my EDH, EDH games. I think that this card has two considerations, or like you can think about it two ways when putting it into your deck. Either you can say, I've been going to play it for, you know, more for fun or more for political reasons, play it and then try to convince the person that I'm, I'm giving the extra card to or have them already be kind of behind so that they're not going to target me with whatever they get. They're going to get it to help protect them against the other people. Or you could build your deck in a way that like the best spells can't really be used against you. You know, less creatures, more board affecting spells, something that cares, you know, something like Caravac that you can just be like, I don't really care what it is you cast because whatever it is, is probably going to help me. Yeah. I don't know. It seems like a fun card. Next up, we have Enigmatic Incarnation, two green-blue for an enchantment. At the beginning of your end step, you may sacrifice another enchantment. If you do, search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost equal to 1 plus the sacrifice enchantment's converted mana cost. Put that card onto the battlefield and shuffle your library. So this is a birthing pod from enchantments to creatures. I don't think any, like, they made, they made very sure that this card is not breakable in any of the ways birthing pod is, like from the pod loops, or sorry, the pod chains. But I think this card is like pretty reasonable if you're building some like, uh, like Bant enchantment with a bunch of toolboxy cards. What do you guys think? I am I am hype with this card. Uh, again, for the, um, the Bant enchantress deck that I have that plays a bunch of enchantment creatures, this is going to feel a lot like... Uh, birthing pod in that you can sacrifice enchantments you don't need or sacrifice the enchantment creatures you have and upgrade them you know going down the line seems like a fine value card to me yeah it's not going to be infinite like that one was but I think that this is a like a fine value card for four mana when I first saw this it confirmed deep in my heart that someone at Watsy Design is trying to find a way to validate birthing pods printing and find a way to actually make it balanced first they gave it a they gave it another color they made it a legendary creature in prime speaker vanifar and now here i was like okay what if we did it for enchantments um i agree with figlish like it's definitely a good value card especially um something i just thought of um you can use them on any omens you play because most of the big omens effects are on their initial casting like, Scrying 2 is cool and all, but if on instep, like, you flash it in, then on instep you sack it to get something bigger, especially if the main enchantresses you're running are Satessin Champion and Idol of Blossoms, which care more about them entering the battlefield than being cast. I can definitely see this going into um, a, a Simic um, enchantment deck or in a Bant enchantment deck. Yeah, seems like a pretty solid card. So now we're up to the uh, artifact portion of the set review, and we have three that we uh, specifically want to talk about. The first one is the big equipment of the set, Shadow Spear. One colorless, or one of any color rather, for a legendary artifact equipment. Equipped creature has plus one, plus one, and has trample and lifelink. You can pay one for permanence your opponent's control, lose hexproof and indestructible until end of turn, and you can equip it for two. 
So this card is going right into my Greven deck. Any card that makes Greven gain lifelink and for a cheap cost, as well as, as having the upside of like making gods, I guess, de-godded is the term, <laughs> or like a secondary spectral searchlight, or like just the first one, I guess. That seems very powerful, as well as I don't think people realize you can use the lose hexproof and indestructible ability, even if Shadow Spear isn't equipped onto anything. Yeah, I mean, like a one-mana artifact that you can pay one to Spectral Searchlight all of your opponent's creatures, you know, Hexproof and Indestructible away seems pretty legit, even if it didn't do anything else. And again, a one-mana equipment equips for two, plus one, plus one, Trample and Lifelink would be something to consider, something to, you know, think about putting into, like, an equipment deck, something like Akiri or uh, Sir Gwyn. The fact that they're both on the same card and you don't have to pay anything for it seems pretty legit. I think this card, um, it's made it's been made comparisons to already. I think if you're building a equipment Voltron deck from scratch, this beats out Luxodon Warhammer. Oh yeah, for sure. Like just just be just being able to cast it earlier, you don't get as big of a buff up front, but just being able to strip hexproof indestructible from things while it's off a creature and it gives you two relevant keywords while it's equipped all for three mana in one turn there's just really no comparison as much as i love loxton and warhammer in my miri weatherlight duelist deck like i'm gonna make room for shadow spear but i don't know i don't know if loxton can actually make it like three to three to cast two or three to equip like even with um, Pierstil Paladin and effects like Nizon, um, Hammer of Nizan and Sigardize, just one mana is one mana. You can't really beat that. Yeah, definitely. So next up we have Nyx Lotus for colorless for a legendary artifact. It enters the battlefield tapped and you can tap it to choose a color, add an amount of the mana equal... Okay, sorry. You can tap it to choose a color, add an amount of mana of that color equal... To your devotion to that color. Sorry, that's kind of a mouthful to read. So I think this is solid in any monocolored deck or any like enchantment deck that relies heavy on permanence with a mana cost in them. Uh, people do say this is kind of a win more, and I do see that. But I definitely think that if you land this and you can untap with it, it can definitely help you catch up if you're a little bit behind. People play Gilded Lotus. This is Gilded Lotus, but in almost all situations, better. This thing can tap for a nuts amount of mana, and it can skyrocket you from, like, okay, turn four, you play this thing after a little bit of setup, or turn three, you play this thing after a little bit of setup. Turn four, you just play whatever card is in your hand, and it almost doesn't matter. This thing requires so little setup and so little care to be so powerful. I asked. I happened to get a hold of a Nyx Lotus Pulling Packs, and I asked a friend of mine what deck I should, which of my decks I should put it in, and the ones he was suggesting were the ones that I already had effects like um, Nyx Shrine to Nyx, uh, Magus of the Coffers, like just being able to compound the effects of Nyx Shrine to Nyx now that it's getting more and more expensive because of Pioneer and its popularity in the format. Um, I definitely think Nick's Lotus is definitely something people should be picking up as a way to affordably be able to um, take advantage of your um, devotion to whatever color you have. And I don't, I can't think of a deck in at least mono colors where you would not want this card. 
Yeah, definitely. I think it's very solid in any modern color deck, as well as any just like possibly even two color deck that has a lot of permanence. So the final card we're going to talk about today is Soul Guide Lantern, one mana for an artifact. When Soul Guide Lantern enters the battlefield, exile target card from a graveyard. You can tap it and sacrifice Soul Guide Lantern to exile each opponent's graveyard, and you can pay one, tap it, and sacrifice it to draw a card. So, people say this is better Relic of Progenitus. I don't think so, because you can only choose one or the other. However, this doesn't exile itself, and it only exiles opponents' graveyards. So, you could just keep recurring this over and over with something like, say, Moldrotha, and then it becomes just a super powerful, basically, uh, Leyline of the Void that already gets rid of uh, the opponent's graveyards. I actually have to agree with the majority on this one on being a better Relic, only, uh, mainly because... The one thing that we often forget about this card is that when it enters the battlefield, you exile a card on land. So it's not like Relic where you pay it and then it has to be on the board to then do something with it. Uh, regardless if you have effects like Blind Obedience or an effect that has artifacts under the battlefield tapped, this will immediately get rid of a card on the board on top of giving you the option to either draw or exile your opponent's graveyards. As someone who runs reanimator and aristocrat decks with some reanimation in it this is a godsend to be able to put this in to be able to deal with other potentially stronger reanimation strategies that i may encounter i mean but to be fair like you can exile your opponents like i don't think the etb trigger is too relevant because you can just go ahead and nuke all the graveyards when it enters anyways without paying any more mana and i do think that not being able to um like to draw and exile is like not irrelevant. I agree that it's not irrelevant, but the fact that it's sacrifice and not exile is like the most important part of this card for me is that you can play it more than once. And if there's anything I've learned by watching other people play commander and playing commander, it's that not exiling graveyards loses people games. Even the people yeah, who aren't absolutely. playing like Muldrotha or uh, Marin of Clan Neltoth you're still going to lose games because somebody plays the same card two or three times and it's just done. Yeah, I don't know. I think like it's definitely situational. Sometimes Relic is better. Uh, if you don't care about the graveyard, I definitely think Relic is better. But if you are playing a deck that cares about the graveyard, I do think this edges Relic out slightly. Alright, so that is going to be it for our episode on Thurus Beyond Death and what cards we think. Uh, how about you guys? If you're listening to this podcast right now, leave uh, your thoughts down in the comments below. Do you agree with some of us? Disagree with our thoughts? What cards do you, are you going to pick up and put in your commander decks? As well as you can follow the host up here. We have MTG Galaxy, EDH Academy, and Frigglish. All of the Twitters will be in the description and mine and EDH Academy's YouTube channels will be in the description as well. Unfortunately, Frigglish does not have one at this time. Uh, anything else you have to say, guys? Uh, I'm uh, still looking forward to talking about the legendary creatures from this set. Absolutely. Um, I think this set gave us a lot of materials to work with, both as uh, both with commanders and with um, non-commander stuff. There's a lot of great cards, and they did a really good job, you know, um, bringing a, you know, a fresh breath of air to the format. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will see you next episode.